Welcome to Film Suck. Um, today, in an episode we call On the Fringes of Hollywood, <laughs> or no, I'm sorry, On the Fringes of Industry, um, we're going to talk about just our, you know, the uh, my experiences uh, very much on the fringe, very much in the indie world um, um, for a number of years. And Ev- Evgenia um, is just kind of wading in on tiptoe. We'll see how far she wants to take this mad enterprise um, with her film, with a great documentary film. It's wonderful. Um, called Changemaker um, that she... It's not uh, a documentary. Oh, well, it's a, what, what do you even call it? A mockumentary? Do you even call it anything? I don't know what you call it's it. A, it's a kind of mock documentary, I guess, if you had to apply yeah. something. It's, it's taking on the documentary form in a really hilarious, satirical um, way. So that's true. It's not a documentary if we even know what that is anymore. Yeah, actually, it's a good question because I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where's the line? <laughs> yeah, and what's worse is people aren't even interested in that question. It used to be a, a question of burning immediate interest in especially the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I mean, there were massive numbers of fear, filmmakers and theorists and working earnestly on that issue, and it is just dead and gone. <laughs> no one well, cares I, now. <laughs> I feel like it got a very, like, has some kind of anti-intellectual band now the whole documentary industry if you can even call it that so since it's anti-intellectual but like identity politics Mm -hmm. right it's sort of eager borrowing from from tropes taken from commercial cinema without regarding that as a problem at all and yeah we could go on i could go on and on i often do but at any rate you could you just got back recently from key west where um your film was shown at a festival and we can wade into this topic by you know talking about your experience and then heading into just how festivals operate um, in relation to the film industry in general. So how was it? It was nice. It was a bit, I guess, uneventful because uh, first of all, I mean, it's a a tiny festival, which is not bad, but it seems like the general audience and the general Key West dwellers are kind of just retirees, somewhat Mm -hmm. like upper middle class or rich white retirees. And so these are the, the, the audience festival, which is, I guess, rather different from many or whatever the like the indie or the bigger indie film festivals mm. out there and um so it felt kind of homey i guess because yeah. of that <laughs> there was no pressure at all and uh also i don't know my film was actually in the um, like a what is it world student comedy it was kind of like among student films which they can be mm. MFA thesis yeah. films, whatever. So uh, yeah, and it was kind of jammed into a different auditorium, which mm. wasn't like a even. And it was rather big, but it wasn't like a real movie theater. It was like a projector that I actually similar to the one we used to have in New York. So mm. you know, <laughs> I don't know. Just the, the, it was like not a very <laughs> glorious. I feel like thing. So but, they just repurposed a, a regular building, like an auditorium. Uh, yeah, one of yeah. them. Yeah, because yeah. They, they didn't have, I think, enough space. There was yeah, a, like a pretty does big this. program. So it's a, that's mm-hmm. not an unusual thing. <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting. I it still got like a lot of laughs, just mm-hmm. sort of like a different. I feel like a different moments. Not the not necessarily. It's like not the same kind of laughs that you get from screening and for like New York filmmakers for mm-hmm. more like insider, insider kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, but it, I think it still worked. Like the um, what is the memorable thing? There was a commissioner of Monroe County. He was just like the loudest laugher. <laughs> <laughs> In my film. So, yeah, and he kind of approached me afterwards saying how fucking true that is. 
So uh-huh. the, like the people from the industry, I think they, they might be the biggest fans and they end yeah. still <laughs> recognizing. Yeah. But I think it's still kind of definitely accessible as you just general Oh, it's audience. so accessible. It's so funny. I mean, the, the conceit is it's, you know, you play a version of yourself as an earnest <laughs> kind of seeker of becoming educated in what a documentary is and how you can get one made. And you and you find a supposed documentary filmmaker in the process of making a film about a homeless, um, what is he, uh, paraplegic, I guess, um, who used to be a, a, yeah, a stock trader um, and is, and is you know, fallen into destitution. And, and you kind of follow them around as, as the filmmaker follows this <laughs> poor fellow played by your husband, Yasha, in a stellar performance and your friend Rowan as the filmmaker. And it's just hilarious because it exposes all of these qualities of documentary filmmaking that especially if you've you know, studied it or watched a lot of them. You're very aware of, but even if you aren't, you're going to you're going to get how hilarious it is. Especially the self importance of the filmmaker is, if you've ever had anything to do with filmmaking, is such a key quality that emerges from people as soon as they start to make a film. So many of them get up their own ass like almost immediately, <laughs> and so all that he does all this solemn pondering of like. Well, you know, you know, what does this really mean? And, you know, talking earnestly about what a struggle it is for him. And that's my favorite part where through the window, you can see Yasha's homeless character going through the garbage, trying to get something to eat. And he's in there pondering the difficulty of having to be there with him, with his subject for hours and hours of every day and how unethical it would be to buy him a burger at the well, end of you're shooting. you're revealing all the best gags. Oh, I shouldn't say anymore, but it's I'm just like trying spoilers. to yeah. How funny and how how insightful it is um, and just hilarious. And yes, but accessible at the same time. Anyone can can get it. But it really is delicious if you've been inside the filmmaking process where I don't know if it's just how, how people just can survive the difficulties of filmmaking that they you tend to get a number of people who are immediately just get completely self-involved and <laughs> and regard what they're doing with tremendous seriousness and, and an absolute lack of humor that that's just a thing it's just a thing so, so you think it's actually a documentary or a fiction or whatever the the filmmaking kind of persona is recognized is similar it's so recognized because <laughs> i thought it was specific to what i've seen in documentaries and the the fiction kind of auteurs or whatever they like seem to be slightly different I but, mean, of um, course, there's, there's, <laughs> there are you, you, you. All these issues are raised about documentary filmmaking mm-hmm. in particular, which has an addition, additional layers of seriousness. That's absolutely true. But even in fiction filmmaking, that's why there's that joke, you know, about um, people always saying, um, you know, it's the reproof. The way to reprove people like that is to say, look, it's it's just a movie. It's not brain surgery. But I've <laughs> been the, an, a, a joke on top of that has been reversed. It's just. <laughs> You know, it's just a it's just brain surgery. It's not like you're trying to make a movie. And that's how serious <laughs> people tend to take this endeavor, partly because it is so ridiculously hard and high stress and so much money on the line and stuff like that. But it's still unforgivable when you see it happen. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think I haven't met too many kind of like closely met too many like fictional um, mm-hmm. sort of filmmakers. But yeah, but I, I imagine that those egos can be even not even especially the directorial ego just Mm -hmm. inflates like a balloon (laughs) 
<laughs> because everyone is like bowing and salaming and can I get you can I get you a latte <laughs> kind of kind of uh, catering as if to someone yeah. a peer of the realm kind of thing it's an amazing hierarchy that happens immediately even at a low budget level sickening sickening <laughs> that's funny well yeah, so tell um, about the Q&A did you go through a Q&A process oh uh, yeah how'd I mean, that go Oh, the Q&A. Well, yeah, the, um, there was like a brief Q&A with the, in, the, in my section. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, since I, I saw that like, you got a big hand, you, you posted a clip from it. Like oh, you were that, a popular he, favorite. Yeah, it was fun. Well, people were just laughing, I think. But um, because also Rowan was there with a the cutout. Oh, he was uh, carrying the cutout. That's yeah, a, so he was standing a next gag. To we won't give it away, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I have to, yeah, yeah, I have to see it. So basically, I, we kind of like were in character, I guess. Because <laughs> I was a filmmaker, then there was a filmmaker uh, about whom the film, my film was made, was uh-huh. there. So I think that's what probably entertained people the most. Oh, wow. Um, wow. You know, sort of trying to stay in character. <laughs> right. <laughs> and who knew you had such talented acting uh, right around you? Yeah, your, your husband and your great friend, and they were both just tremendous in the film. I know, what an accident. But yeah, you <laughs> yeah. know, I was thinking was of something interesting about, um, so what my experience, I've been, what, a few years ago at New Orleans Film Festival. Mm-hmm. There was kind of a similar vibe there, and um, so in the Ski West in Florida. I was wondering if you know something about it, because clearly there's like some kind of southern, almost gothic um, preference movie-wise in, I don't know, definitely like basically in Key West and New mm-hmm. Orleans. And um, that's why probably they did pick my movies before. <laughs> and then some Darker films that I've seen. Yeah. 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 yeah, then the yeah. films I've seen even in the other comedy sections, they were rather dark. Some of them were pretty good. Mm-hmm. But basically I wonder if that's some kind of almost like original, original um specificity or something wow because that actually makes me think of a mm -hmm. of a little festival i went to and i think it was in south carolina with just a short film we had done called Mm -hmm. the hook-armed man and it takes it takes that figure from kind of you know uh from legend and stories that comes you know it leaves a hook on the car and that's how they know that there's been someone ready a murderer right near them it's a that's a long i won't tell the whole anecdote Mm -hmm. but they take that character we take that character and 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 tr- created him as a human who has a whole life. And anyway, and we so we wound up going to this tiny festival um, in South Carolina that was the best festival we were ever at because the most enthusiastic audience. We won the audience award. It was just it was you had real enthusiasm there. It was a very very dark and humorous mm-hmm. tale. Same thing. So we went down south and had our best reception at this little festival. Which I can remember the name of it. I'd plug it, but it was so tiny. <laughs> I just can't. Um, so maybe, and certainly New Orleans. My God, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's something about <laughs> the South. I know so little about the South, but um, yeah. Well, me too. But that's the most appealing quality. <laughs> if, if you can generalize it, that's the best quality. Yeah, not knowing anything, but yeah, but it seems like our sensibilities with the South, I guess, somewhat match better. Uh-huh. Than <laughs> Only in that way. Uh, mostly, probably not. <laughs> mostly not. But probably, yeah. okay. At least then you're going to have to get into evangelical Christian stuff. And oh, yeah. No, that, that's probably not. Toxic, sickening levels of racism. And God knows whether you're still, you know, fighting the, nor- yeah. the war against Northern aggression and all sorts yeah. of stuff. Well, together. that's an interesting thing about, by the way, Key West, because we were hosted um, at the festival. Festival hooked us up with uh, an elderly couple and we were just staying at their house. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it seemed... 
and they seem to be the typical kind of key westers, the mm-hmm. retirees from the east, from somewhere around DC area. And it seems that actually Key West really stands out among the whole state of Florida mm-hmm. by being like a blue state and people yeah, are I, would think. I think the mayor is a lesbian right now and the mayor yeah. governor like I think is a lesbian before there was some like maybe like black gay men or something like that so they're like definitely praise them like, consider themselves extremely uh-huh. I don't know liberal and all that and, right um, so um, yeah so I don't know it seems like Key West is definitely yeah, not, it's you, kind of thing. yeah, you don't yeah. think of it lumped together with Florida in general. No, not at all, even though <laughs> yeah. it is. But it's like it the is. farthest key also from all the, I think, the keys that start from oh, around okay. Miami. So, yeah. yeah, it's very separate. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I don't know why I even have to defend QS. I don't care. <laughs> no, I'd it's love still, to go. I've always... Yeah, well, Hemingway fun. lived there for, like, yes. what is it, almost 10 years? Yeah, um, that's the big claim to fame. You can go see his house and his yeah, we, six we stayed right next to the, and all the rest of it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, 60 cats there with six... With six, six toes po- each and mm-hmm. <laughs> all descendants mm-hmm. of his cats. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know <laughs> okay. how they're all descendants, but I guess, yeah, they they look they look cute. It wasn't like he was super superficial. Oh, it's not super superficial. That's funny, superstitious. Uh-huh. And um, these cats, I uh, believe, to bring some luck. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. Yeah, but his house is... <laughs> huge and like he had a whole um writing little um kind of separate house in the back of his larger house oh nice and uh yeah so this looks like extremely luxurious by i think today's mm-hmm. artist slash writer standard right almost right. like completely unattainable i have just a writer house in addition to a larger living house yeah that yeah, would be nice yeah <laughs> be very, well it's very a nice. little high, like writer's kind of little room mm-hmm. and, but um yeah separated almost like a little hut mm-hmm. um on the second floor but yeah completely separate so um yeah, I guess it's a healthy routine. <laughs> Do you think <laughs> you're going to try and get on the film festival circuit from from here or no? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the film now, you can watch it on like Yasha's Substack, mm-hmm. wherever it is now. It's like um, immigrant, if you, if you Google uh, immigrant as a weapon, it will pop mm-hmm. up. Um, so I don't know how much I, I think it's still, since it's not fully open, there's like the problem with festivals that I think it, your film has to be, very or not accessible at all in the internet well, to but qualify. You can get, but you I, can yes, get another know. quality going where people are yeah, just yeah. looking for a few films that are super entertaining. There's almost always yeah. a few at Sundance because people are just desperate for a laugh or anything that's yeah. fun. Well, I applied to Sundance. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. It, it's worth trying. <laughs> no, I did apply. They haven't responded oh, yet. Oh, good. But yeah, I don't know. The festival, yeah, speaking of the festivals, I, I don't know what's your experience. It's just um, the... What I found out only recently, I guess I was so naive, is still uh, people who frequently get in the major festivals, mm-hmm. they know some sort of programmers frequently or yeah. a friend of programmers. Yeah. Not It's not that it's not merit-based, but they have some kind of in, backdoor yeah. in for their films to be seen at least. Right. Um, before, I guess, other candidates or something like that. So was it, did, did you know about it all? Oh, that definitely um, came mm-hmm. to be true. And the filmmakers I was working with wound up benefiting hugely because when we when we mm-hmm. first started and this is way back very early 90s it, it was just exploding it was just because sundance i mean but also mm-hmm. other other festivals is something that everyone became aware of it seemed like almost simultaneously all of a sudden everyone went festival mad but sundance was the big explosion and we got in just early enough that the number of submissions was still manageable They'd get hundreds. Now, of course, it's thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. So it was still 
possible for a team of programmers to actually watch <laughs> mm-hmm. the films they were getting. But very shortly after we got in, the name of the film was Suture, we got Suture in just from nowhere. We knew no one. Um, but certain smart things were done to call attention to the film and make it stand out. It was in black and white, widescreen, anamorphic. It had a really wild story. It had an angle on race that was like a must-talk-about kind of conceit. So they were... We, it was actually very smart as it happened. Just the way to plug it, it it's definitely available on Amazon. I think even Prime. Oh yeah, if you want to go check, watch like, <laughs> so a few months ago. Yeah, yeah that's still that still kicks around. People still mm-hmm. see it, but it's a very '90s film. Very, it was a very Pomo conceit, shall we say? But at any rate, it was there were a couple of must talk about going to make it stand out from the pile. So that's once that got in though, the directors got to be real festival favorites at Sundance and. So, of course, everything that they subsequently submitted got a look. And much later, we did a film that I actually hated and thought was terrible called Lush. They didn't direct it. They were just producing. And I just, you know, they said because the program, the main programmer, his name is John Cooper, knew them, even though he didn't love the film. He was like, well, but they're doing I like them and they're doing a good thing, supporting other artists by producing this film. So we'll let it in. And that's how it got in. It was not worthy, <laughs> but for sure it was that they had an in from then on. And, and, and just the numbers of submissions, as I said, exploded. So there was just, I, it just didn't seem humanly possible. You could, you could watch all the submissions that come into Sundance. Yeah, but now uh, there even are some articles. I think I just recently read on IndieWire, um, sort of like, um, arguing that now everyone, I wonder if it was about specifically Sundance or other big festivals, basically that it's not true that um, programmers do not watch everything or give it to someone else to watch or watch only like Somebody part of watches it. watches everything, but they might. Yeah, so they say yeah. they watch everything. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, but the funny thing, once you go quickly into the comment section, which I love, mm-hmm. you know, more, they're frequently more interesting than the articles themselves or some mm-hmm. the pieces themselves. You you see that people um, prove, I don't know, I, have, I haven't checked that, that if you, let's say, um, submit now online, right, through Vimeo, mm-hmm. you can actually see, especially if it's a separate link specifically for Sundance it's or Tribeca, how watched. much of it has been watched. Like, <laughs> and people, in the com- I, tend to, I, don't know, I tend to trust more comment section than some kind of uh, op-ed writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they say, no way, it's like someone watched, like, I don't know, 30%. <laughs> And, you know, from my perspective, it's like, well, what if it's a bad film? And they're like, uh, they're well, like, that definitely could be true, no. But there's also <laughs> films that build to a bigger yeah, impact. Yeah, you know? yeah, but anyway, it's unfair if you pay sometimes a lot of money for submission, like right. I said, as a submission fee, and then you can really trace that they really didn't watch the whole thing. It's sort right. of, I guess, upsetting. Uh, so again, I don't know how exactly now programmers manage thousands of submissions. Mm-hmm. So you say that they like some they're like people who watch first, right? I think, and then they market somehow. I think there's like um, oh, I think there's yeah, system. definitely a winnowing yeah, process. Yeah. I can imagine that the, the top programmer watches. No, 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 no of course they, not. They get it winnowed down to something that they can mm-hmm. possibly manage, and yeah, then watch watch what's the pick. Um, yeah, so it, I just think it's just partly what happened, which was no, I don't think anyone was expecting. It sounds strange now, Sundance to exp- certainly Robert Redford, who was the founder of the festival, was not expecting it to explode the way the way it did, or for getting on the festival circuit. And this is we're talking eighties, you know, late eighties and mm-hmm. early nineties. Getting on the festival circuit becomes this huge thing, and that's the era of indie film that people are always referring to when they're saying it's pretty much. 
over or it's on its last legs or <laughs> it's tottering along, but it's certainly not functioning the way it was. There just aren't the, the number of what? Companies that started specializing in just indie films, numbers of people getting studio deals, uh, the numbers of theaters that show those kind of films has just shrunk. You know, distribution people have, you know, the numbers have shrunk. There's so many things that that shrunk after this period when indie film was really booming. Um, but that's but when... But then you would think that now, let's say... Uh, because of all this um, Amazon becoming well, its yeah, own studio, now. Netflix mm-hmm. becoming its own studio, you would buy still, I guess, first some sort of exposure to the festival circuit or specifically like those big oh, festivals. And that's like, exactly what people are hoping for. Yeah, yeah that they're hoping Amazon Netflix. or Netflix is generally who's, who's going to pick you Which up. Which doesn't sound very indie. <laughs> it sounds, yeah. sounds bizarre that it's even part of the, exactly. you know, the indie circuit because, you know, like sometimes Netflix produced films do qualify to go. Yeah, you know, to participate in those festivals, which is, sounds like not right. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it's, but, it, it, but yeah, but they and just qualify. the sheer glut of I was, you know, just reading up on it because, of course, that was after my time. I wasn't even around mm-hmm. at all in the business in in the independent world when when that whole sea change happened, and it just sounds so depressing. I mean, we people used to worry then that. It would, on the one hand, it would be great if Harvey Weinstein and his company, uh, Miramax, picked up your film. But on the other hand, it would could be disastrous because they picked up so many films. They would just buy the dozens, by the score. And then they, of course, would have too many to bother with. <laughs> and they'd shelve a bunch of them. And so you might wind up with your film having been, you know bought but no one ever seeing it for years and years and years um so but now just make that exponentially huger i mean even if it gets if there's uh, how many how many how many films can people pay attention to when everything is just online streaming it runs sometime or they they hold it back for a while and then they run it and you know i was reading some tragic story of a guy who had to wait i forget a year before they finally ran it for some reason. <laughs> and so he, on the one hand, he has bragging rights. It's been picked up. And on the other hand, no one's seen it. <laughs> it's like being in a black hole or like putting some kind of. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's just none of the, it just seems like that would, of course, people would still be excited. Any kind of deal. I mean, people are desperate. Mm-hmm. People have so often, I'm sure it's still true. You know, sold everything, maxed out the credit cards, crowdfunded, done all that stuff. And and to get any kind of return, you have to be one of the lucky ones yeah, who actually makes it. Or extremely audacious or some yeah. sort of like you have to make something. Yeah. I don't and know it's, that eye-popping. <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. Most people just hope to make their money back so that they're not ruined. <laughs> no, Even no, no. that's I mean, a triumph. I mean, at this like saturated market. Yes. You have to make something. I mean, not just the money back. What you're making has to be extremely, I don't even know. Yeah, like so impressive that it can be just like overlooked. Right. Because everything is can overlooked. Can you think of some angle? Small. Yeah, exactly. It's, gonna, it's going to be, it's, you know, a yeah. lot of people still long for the tiny theatrical release. Even can it just be in theaters for a really brief, <laughs> for a week, for a month, you know, yeah. some little release. So that still has some bragging rights, even if, you know, it's just going to be online, you know, yeah. afterward. It seems so much more boring to me, but I'm old world. And, you know, I liked the, I liked the people come out, people get together to watch the film was it was a whole, had a level of impact and excitement. It's hard to imagine matching when everyone's at home alone watching their watching their screens that just seems deflating (laughs) even if it does well i don't know just seems boring to me but 
Yeah. What do I know? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, people love theaters, I think, still. You sometimes do find yourself in a packed Oh, I think they're still along. So. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing the movie Knives Out so much mm. because they're predicting that it's going to be a popular hit. And it's a really old fashioned entertain. They're advertising it as super entertaining and fun. <laughs> it's this it's this mocking take on Agatha Christie plots, mm-hmm. a whodunit. But it's got all an all star cast. And it's been getting advanced press for months now. Um, oh, I gotta watch it. Oh, yeah. yeah I already had friends tell me, have you seen it? You're gonna love it. It's so good. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I cannot wait to see this damn thing just because it's claiming it's going to be an entertaining audience pleaser film and people are actually going to go see it. And maybe you'll get that huge rush. I mean, anything that's a comedy always benefits from seeing it in a packed house like action film does too. anything that's very, I don't know, visceral sen- you know, sensory makes gives you, you that you have a bodily reaction to of some kind, I think, well, maybe not porn, <laughs> but is augmented by you know being in a crowd. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping anyway, I'll go, we'll go there and there'll be people. So that would yeah. be thrilling. Well, we'll see. Okay. So, um, let's talk, I guess, about your, <laughs> your, yeah, your my, experience. Yeah. At the, my time served. Call it. <laughs> time, yeah, time served. That's right. And the, I don't know. I find it funny to say on the fringes, but it wasn't that much on the fringes. It just, was pretty fringe. I, I use it for the, <laughs> it was pretty fringe. For the joke. I mean, my, my, my father used to complain periodically. He'd say, why don't you ever make a film that anyone's ever heard of you know because he couldn't he'd, he'd, he'd hit the bars all the time and he he couldn't very well brag about i don't know uh the films i was making who no one had heard of suture who's just an ordinary film gar you know they don't know anything or or i don't know even lush or the deep end or any of these little indie films that i worked on that i'm you know mainly ashamed of um you know, the, a big film is a film that has, I don't know, who's the top star now? Who, you know, Brad, he wanted like me to be doing something in a Brad Pitt film to justify all the trouble. Because <laughs> most people, even then, when indies were booming, you know, they didn't play everywhere and people like my parents were never going to go see them. So it was very, very fringy. Even, well, even, anyway, the, but the parents are never satisfied. I think I read somewhere, you know, that uh, Paul Verhoeven, when he was already um, in his 40s and finally moving to America to make like his, what is it, Robocop, the big Hollywood mm-hmm. film, and already was successful back in Holland. Right, Very right. successful. I think his dad was still like asking what the hell he's up to since <laughs> he got <laughs> PhD. <laughs> yeah, like PhD, because he, he like had PhD in mathematics and dad was recommending him or <laughs> telling him about some job, a math professor he like saw mm-hmm. in the newspaper. So, you know, I think it's just, it's probably never yeah, <laughs> what do you imagine be. to be with parents. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. <laughs> yeah, but that, that example, like, I could not believe it. And, and Father Hohen was telling about it in, like, pretty good spirits. You know, it's yes, obviously yes. he wasn't <laughs> very offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a yeah. get, some, get a job. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really made it like Verhoeven, I think that that would be a lot more amusing than it would be slightly yeah. stinging, like it was in my case. <laughs> I once showed my father a film that I just liked. It was just some film, and um, and you know everyone watched it in the family, and then he 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 hated it, and he was like, "Well, no wonder you never made it." <laughs> It was really, it was at a low point in my life. And I really, I really felt bad. I was like, you're right. I never made it. I never made it in the way that we really talk about, you know, making it. When people know your name and you're not worried about money, that's when you've made it. Man, yeah, well. It's, but anyway, I did yeah, serve my yeah. time. I did, did do that. Ser- yeah, so I don't know. It just lets, um, 
I feel like we can just talk about it in terms of, I, I don't even know, even though we chat quite a lot. Mm-hmm. How did you initially, how did you get in the industry and like move to LA and all, all of that? Because it was, seemed to be pretty like, um, you were part of a certain scene, right? That it was working their way in or up. Or yeah, I never would have <laughs> gone. If, I, if I'd mm-hmm. stayed in the Western New York area where I grew up, I, I never would have gone and went to, where I went to undergrad to school I, because no one, it just seemed like that isn't something that ordinary people did. You didn't try to make it in a movie industry at, at any level. But I was, I wound up in California and I went to grad school at Berkeley and I met people who were making films on their own and taking them to film festivals. First it was shorts and then they wanted to go to features. And then finally the, the person I knew best in the program was leaving. Wasn't going to finish his PhD. He was going to stop at the masters because they were, they were, you know, doing a feature and they were going to take a, a real stab at like making it in the movies. That, that seemed like a very California thing to be able to mm-hmm. do because so many people had money in this, in this kind of casual stealth way so that you didn't know that they came from a lot of money and that they were going to inherit $30 million and stuff because they lived very quietly just amongst you, <laughs> you know, with, with housemates and stuff and you never would have guessed. And then suddenly, you know, they'd come into it and go off to Europe for a year or something, whatever. So this was like, uh, there was so much of that that I think people just were much more daring and bold about what they thought they could do. So I kind of caught it for them, from them. And I was working, you know, just for while I was getting through grad school, which I hated studying film. I really did not fit in very well or I didn't feel I did. So I, on, on my spare time, I was helping them on their films. And when they took off to make Suture, they said, you want to come <laughs> and work on the film? And I said, yes. So I took like a semester off to do that. And highly unexpectedly sutured for for how much it cost which was you know well under a million and it did gangbusters it it did incredible at film festivals it it, it sold it got a theatrical release it had a real rep suddenly they they were getting meetings with you know major major people in the industry and Steven Soderbergh was our executive producer. It, you know, <laughs> just because somebody, an acquisitions person who worked for him, had seen the film at a festival and took it to him and was like, "I love this film. What do you think?" And he was like, "Wow, this film's a mind blower. I love this film too." And and of course, if you Steven Soderbergh is your executive producer, every door flies open for you, and that's how how that happened. But and how did you guys get him as executive producer? Because he like joined later on. It right, was literally just, just the the, the, that was the fluke. It was it was playing mm-hmm. at a festival. It played at lots of festivals. You know, it, it, it was yeah. doing really well at that. And I, I can't remember if it, where which one it was. If it was Sundance or where? No, I'm not. It's all mm-hmm. just garbled. But anyway, acquisitions people were of course Soderbergh. It's it's really fitting. He was the guy who in 1989 had did Sex Lies and Videotape for very little money, and it made just boatloads of money um and he so it, it he makes the history books literally I, it's when you teach that era you have to talk about sex lies and videotape because it made so much money that all the big hollywood players said oh my god we can you know film festivals really have something to offer us we can we can find movies and just pick them up cheap and have hits on our hand we can find top talent there it'll be a kind of minor leagues and we'll just poach off everything we can get and pull it into the industry and it'll be, it'll be great and inexpensive. And what were we thinking that we missed this? So he's really like the, the, the figure who is always pointed to as that was the turning point when suddenly, you know, every agent, every acquisitions person, you know, so many top 
Hollywood and it, just film industry around the world, people had to be at Sundance and had to be at certain other key film festivals like Berlin and Toronto. And, you know, there's a, there was a certain set of can, can, of course, there was a certain set of film um, festivals that you were always trying to get into. Consider the top ones where you'd be most likely to be noticed, maybe get a deal, all that stuff. Um, so it was literally just his acquisitions person saw it. And she just loved that film and knew that he wanted to, he was, he was getting into producing films in a small way and she knew he would love it and respond to it. And he did. And it was just, it was just that it was a fluke. So yeah. suddenly we were like, wow, this is so easy. And people told us it would be hard. So literally we just were, we had the best experience with the first film we worked on just because. Oh, but that's dangerous because you start thinking that that's how it is. <laughs> it was. Because I, I <laughs> everything that happened after was much more gut-wrenching than, because it, following it up was really so much less easy than what had happened then. So yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so yeah, it wound up being ultimately for me, especially I think of, of almost anyone who have hugely embittering experience, um, mm. just because of what you see happen to people the, at the first taste of success. And it wasn't just the filmmakers I was working with; it was it was mm -hmm. all around us, friends of friends. We'd see various people get their moment um, in the sun where they'd made some little some film, <laughs> it got attention at festivals. Suddenly, they were getting you know offers to do other things and meetings with top people and all that, an agent, whatever. And suddenly you'd see them change in a way that would seem cartoonish. If you, if, if you conveyed it in a book or a movie, you'd be like, come on, no one acts like that. And it's like, oh yeah, they do. Oh yeah, they do. There was, there was one filmmaker that was a friend of friends. Actually the, the friends are Todd Hughes and P. David Ebersol, who've already been um, interviewed um, for their movie House of Cardin um, on our on our podcast, um, a friend of theirs who had always been super effusively friendly, delightful person. I'd seen her many many times on social occasions, <laughs> and she had an HBO film that did that you know was getting attention at the festival, and there was a little party for her film and some other HBO stuff, and I was at the party and. I went up to her and said, wow, this is so great. Congratulations. Hi, hi, hi. Awesome. And she looked at me in the most icy way as if to say, do I know you? And she said, thank you. <laughs> and turned around and stalked off. And I wow. was just like, my jaw was just hanging open. <laughs> I was just like, what? No one does that. And then I thought there must be some mistake. And later I talked to Todd and B. David and said, you know, so-and-so initial let's just say c um i think she might have snubbed the hell out of me at sundance is that possible such a nice person and they're like well she's having a moment yes and john b david are wonderful because as they said if we if we got mad and dropped all the friends who 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 snubbed us and treated us terribly when they thought they were going to become rich and famous uh we wouldn't have any friends so they just would wait they're just like i mean just wait they all come around again <laughs> the moment passes. That, that's so funny. But that, yeah, because well, do they come around again when they're on the way down? Yes. Or they just <laughs> when it doesn't pan out. They're having their moment, you know. This will last for a year or two. It won't pan out and they'll be your friend again. And I was like, but, you you're a better man than I am Gunga Din. You're 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 good people because I cannot do that. I would never well never speak to that person again that's so vile that's vile it was like a cartoon it was so huh. i was embarrassed for her i stood there going you can't have just done that <laughs> that's just 
you later you're gonna be so ashamed when you become a sane person again oh my god yeah it's hard to imagine it's very cartoonish as you said oh my god you can't believe real people but they do the swelled yeah. head thing oh my god saw that so many times so but what about so since you were talking about sutures and about mm-hmm. that phd sort of dropout uh did did he went on making other movies because you were once i think we were chatting you were telling me about how this sort of um phd if you come from that world of um moving from like more academic world oh right and somewhat successfully into hollywood which it seems like right he did it's yeah. actually kind of sometimes or i don't know often pans out pretty well because like there are very few <laughs> true intellectuals in hollywood so you well, kind of do t- become noticeable at the time yeah we uh, the directors were moving to Hollywood and, and so we, you know, people who knew them and who had, you know, worked with them on their films in an informal way, you know, would go down there and stuff. And and, the, and they threw a huge party at the Chateau Marmont that just became this incredible, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> orgiastic, <laughs> brilliant success. And so the sutures or like that was wrong? that was like. Sometime after Suture had uh-huh. done really well, I can't remember exactly the time yeah. frame, but yeah, they decided they, they and they, it's, it Damn, is, that they went really, <laughs> oh, they went, for, yeah, they went, moved down there. And, uh, uh, yeah. And anyway, this was the inaugural party. And that was, I think, when I first discovered, wow, this, this PhD thing really sells here. <laughs> and I was shocked. Because, <laughs> yeah, we knew a, fr- a friend that, that had also worked with them a little bit, not as much as me, but off and on. And he had a PhD and he was really good looking in a kind of GQ man you know mannequin kind of way was just cut in a swath like (laughs) i couldn't believe it and he was really using the phd thing to hold Mm -hmm. forth and like julie delpy was hanging on to every word (laughs) i don't know who that is yeah she's that a very hot indie french what is it after sunrise no before sunrise before yes and just people clustering around like oh my god he's so good looking and yet so brilliant (laughs) and yeah really initially it was something it had some cachet i don't know if it still does or if they're full up but it it did then for a brief time it didn't but do you, what you know. I, but then for you as well like or you oh, have to be helped. like a man i think i think <laughs> it helped to have people you know refer, i didn't tr- ever try to to sell it that would be so embarrassing uh-huh. <laughs> but you know if if in talking it ever came up that i had gone to school or if someone else told people i mean that i think it helped get me a job or two but again through these directors that's how the doors seem to open is that once the directors were having their moment from suture all of a sudden they'd get offered all sorts of things, just millions of little things. Like one of them was uh, RKO was trying to get back into making films. It didn't really take, but then they had, they owned all this great property and like old scripts, old stuff that had been in midway through development and never, never got finished. And one was an old Orson Welles script. He was trying when around the time before he was doing Citizen Kane, he was trying to do a version of Heart of Darkness and he generated a bunch of different scripts and it just never, never, pulled together but one of them was called way to santiago and they Mm -hmm. owned it and they were trying to develop it and make it into a film and release it and they wanted the directors of suture to do it and they didn't have time so they they named me and the gq (laughs) phd guy as people who could work on it and i think the phds really helped um and so we got called in for a meeting and we pitched like let's make it a total film noir i mean it's kind of a mess you can't quite tell he's got a little bit of noir elements but not many and the so we just pitched an obvious thing i thought and they loved it 
And so, you know, we went off and got to write this script and for a while got some interest. Supposedly Catherine Bigelow's company was very, very interested. Their development person was really enthusiastic. Um, (laughs) So, but that's, I think that's how come we got it. We got it literally on the say-so of this, what seemed to be an up and coming pair of directors. And I think that's part of what they bragged up. And that's how we got that little gig. But then did it, It it wasn't made eventually, was it? No, God, no. I think they tried several times after us. I mean, what happened was the the development guy loved it. Catherine Bigelow was off making, I forget what Mm -hmm. film, maybe Strange Days or something. And Mm -hmm. so months, months went by while we went to parties and talked about, you know, well, I forget what studio she was even at. But we had bragging rights, we could say, you know, well, the development person, you know, looks like it might go over at Paramount or whatever bullshit. But of course, she when she saw it, guess how she turned it down that he relayed to us. She just didn't spark to it. <laughs> This is after we'd waited What? months and months and months for her even to glance at it. We, we kept going, really? She can't even cast an eye over it? No, she, she won't as long as she's working on the film. And then, yep, she just didn't spark to it. So you, Wait, this, the idea was that she could potentially direct it, right? Yes. Direct the script. Her develop, in the development, yeah. there's, there's, she, her development guy, he's there mm-hmm. to run down scripts and project, yeah. you know, literary properties that she might be wanting to direct. And he loved this. He was really enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we were over the moon excited. And, yeah, but then, you know, then she's got to look at it. <laughs> and, yeah, she did not spark to it. So... And from then on, we didn't really get much interest. That was the first run out of the gate, and then nothing much happened. And then years later, we heard that that they were trying to revive it and do it again, and it also didn't get made, and so it just kind of died again. God, that's infuriating. And I guess it's true, right? What did they say about that? It's like there's no deal in, until there is. You basically oh my God. Like, you, they, that's how they kill you. And on and they on. kill you by making you wait and wait and wait. When you think you're on the you're right mm-hmm. on the cusp, you're always right on the cusp of breaking through. This is it. This is the big thing. And sometimes, you know, rarely, it's true. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. Soderbergh is your executive producer and every door flies open. So that's what you think is going to happen again. But they make you wait and wait months and months and months for, yeah. for a yes or a no. And you just die. That's how you die in Hollywood. <laughs> they kill you with that. Oh, like of the suspense. Wither. <laughs> yes, you just wither away. And financially as well as, <laughs> you know, spiritually and physically. Yeah, you just Got wear it. away. But then how would you say, because your specific experience is mostly with them, with the screenwriting and I mean, actually pretty successfully, but how mm-hmm. would you say that part of the you know, the industry operates? Basically, because oh. it, it seems very mysterious, specifically screenwriting, because <laughs> right. who, yeah, exactly. Who's doing like, it? Catherine, yeah, basically, Chris, for instance, Bigelow didn't take a look at your script because she wasn't like encouraged well, enough. Well, she but looked, if, I, apparently she glanced yeah. at it or maybe, who mm-hmm. knows, maybe he even summarized, but he made it sound like she she gave it a yeah. look, the script, a quick cursory look and just didn't like it off the bat. Yeah, but actually, basically, I'm curious if from your experience, it feels like you're obviously connections help, big names attached to somehow mm-hmm. you're writing the script or you have to be, I don't know, what's it, like a great schmoozer that can push your script onto someone. Basically, where does the merit come in? Like oh, just God. the story. <laughs> what a horrifying yeah, question. It's so awful. I mean, I worked it, in development at a couple of companies and it was, so I was on the other side of it. You know, I had also done screenwriting in a very, very small, tiny way. Um, but I but I was on the other side of it, which is you're looking for the screenplays or at least the mm-hmm. literary properties that can be turned into a screenplay. And, and you read so much bad 
it just atrociously awful stuff that it just kills you. I mean, I was hired to be the development executive for this up and coming company, only up and coming because there was a Taiwanese, you know, fail son who'd been, been sent away, go to Hollywood, here's several million, <laughs> go and use yourself. And so we, I could go around saying we finance and those are the magic words. And so everyone in the world who had a script sent it um, to me for this company. And so I was reading just, I mean, I'm just stacked. I can't even tell you. They were just pouring in. I got back from Sundance and <laughs> and they were stacked up outside my office door and I was taking meeting after meeting after meeting with wannabe. And believe me, no one wanted more than me to find a wonderful script or even a kind mm-hmm. of half good script. I mean, I can't even, it's hard to convey how much that's terrible. And you just despair, you know. And later on, the, the directors that I first worked with on Suture formed a company, and I was supposed to be doing development with for them, and that was even worse. I literally wound up coming back to them and saying, I think in-house development is the only way. I really do. It's not that there are no scripts. It's just that there are mm-hmm. so many people out hunting for them and trying to get them that the more high-powered people are going are gonna to hunt them down faster than you can. And everything else is crap. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much crap. I can't even convey how bad how bad the scripts are, and often by people who you know are supposed to be real screenwriters, you know, in mm-hmm. an indie level. Anyway, oh my god! So I finally was just like, you know what? Let's develop our own our own stuff. This is just it's it's awful. I'm just reading hundreds of the worst scripts you ever saw in your life. So so it's hard because it just feels like it can't be. It can't be that that hard to find a great script. I mean, that's what you tell yourself, you know, come on. It's just that all the gatekeepers just refuse to look. Yeah, Otherwise, they'd, they'd find these nuggets of gold. And it was just like, well, maybe I was just unlucky. But but then someone, I forget who it was, some big shot in the indie world, actually advised the directors and said, you know, do in-house development. It's almost impossible. It's like a needle in a haystack. You just get so mm-hmm. much terrible stuff. And so then they kind of sort of believed me um, by that point. Um, yeah, it was really disillusioning. Um, I mean, it's not that I never found any. There were a couple that were promising they needed work, it seemed like. But even at that, it's so hard to do development and, and get every all the pieces together. It's a miserable job. And when you talk to development people, which I did, I wound up sort of being sort of acquaintances, kind of friendly acquaintances with the that director of development that was Catherine Bigelow's. And, and I said, should I pursue this? Should I try to be a development person? It seems the perfect job description. I mean, that sounds really exciting. Trying to, trying to develop scripts, trying to find scripts. That sounded at that time really exciting. And he's like, well, let me, let me tell you, you rise to higher and higher levels of misery. <laughs> Because it, because it, it won't allow you to to write your own scripts. It's like you'll have to. Yeah, right? no, yeah, you're right. just trying to kind of midwife yeah. through. Mm-hmm. So he's like, look, you either can't find anything, and then yeah. your job's on the line because you've got to find them something, or you find something that you love, and. Even if you can get the director interested, the studio has this and that. If they have a housekeeping deal with the studio, they're not Mm -hmm. independent somehow. So you just keep having to go take more and more demoralizing meetings as you try to – you finally found some little gem and you can't get anyone to make it or they want all these outlandish changes that are going to ruin it. Or he's just like, no, it just gets worse and worse. The higher you go, (laughs) the best – supposedly the best development jobs, if you could get them. We're like needle in a haystack. Very small companies with one director or one actor. You know, Ben Stiller's, you know, um, little company was supposed to be. That was the gem job. 
where you're mm-hmm. working directly with the talent who can actually get something made. You're not going to have to go through layers and layers of VPs who are there to say no, that kind of thing. But there is like there's five of them, the five of those jobs, mm-hmm. whatever. But but it's interesting because it seems like I, I didn't know you had this development experience. Then there is some merit, meaning that, OK, there are so many screenplays, but all of them are bad and nothing. Obviously, they're never get like made or but if you get a good, good one, ones yeah no so one you can't one. persuade anyone uh-huh. yeah but go ahead oh okay yeah no or or the good one no the good ones are made but they're like snitched by bigger players right usually like, taken taken by bigger or players you and, can't get them made because there's you get through, you get into this whole process of people giving notes ex- people in executive positions giving notes and they will all, that's uh, just when they give comments on change what they think is good about the script yeah. and what they think is bad and what they want changed so you'll have these horrifying roundtable discussions. <laughs> where- that sounds very hellish because I guess oh. I wonder if something got better in the last 20 years that if you have some independent script that you wrote and you can attach as a script writer, attach yourself to some independent director, yeah. then it's somewhat can be yeah, cheaply. You, you want some crowd- fast fruit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It can be made and yes. you don't ask like round table. Without of- 10, 10, 20, <laughs> how, cause some crazy number of people all wait. Cause they will. Inev- and, and again, this is also super misery from the screenwriter side, <laughs> because of course you get con- super contradictory notes. Every, everyone you, who reads it has a completely different thing, completely dis- different understanding and it's often very careless and based on really poor, a poor read. You know, they sort of skim through and then just say a bunch of outlandish shit. And you're like, well, but what about here? No, you're not getting it. I had screenwriter friends in the in the action film genre and they just got so they would type it all out. <laughs> Anything that they thought you weren't going to get, they would just literally put it in the, you're not supposed to do that. You're, you're supposed to be able to convey like character emotion through the dialogue and stuff without spelling out. The character is now feeling blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they just started doing it though. They were like, it's hopeless. Otherwise, no one can, no one can follow anything. <laughs> so yeah, it makes you cynical very, very fast. <laughs> but like, so who are these people who can follow anyone? I like the suits. Yeah. <laughs> The, the yeah, yeah. managerial all the managerial people who are types. supposedly yes going to yeah who are who are whatever mm-hmm. they're producers they're vps they're and they're justifying their existence so they need to weigh in and often they're trying to weigh in with very strong opinions because mm-hmm. that's going to make them look decisive <laughs> and like they really know something everyone's pretending they really know like what mm-hmm. will make a great film and you no know one knows. and they don't know <laughs> and in fact their record often demonstrates that they don't know but that doesn't stop everyone from trying to seem like they're some sort of you know brilliant script whisperer they <laughs> know what would make a great film or yeah. whatever so yeah if but, you just change your lead male character into a chinese female character from a white guy then this blah 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 it was just whatever just just in every yeah. way ignoring all of the other qualities and characteristics of the of the of the script but just because it makes it look like you're a real cut through no nonsense mm-hmm. person so yes oh we're working on the other side of it with the directors on their scripts and and taking them to various you know studios and independent producers and oh my god it was just hair tearing they would just be told 50 different things and we'd all just be like what <laughs> there's no way to incorporate all those go away and do these yeah. 50 contradictory things and bring it back by you know <laughs> a week from Wednesday, just like yeah. horrifying. 
But then would you say that, that I mean, slightly back in the day from now, uh, the film school cred, like the stamp, the film school stamp on you, did it help? Did it matter? Because it seemed to be where it was slightly more, less professionalized and open because now, it, right, it's all professionalized and everyone's getting MFAs almost like yeah. you know, no, ex- no exceptions. And in some way that probably helps if you have some AFI stamp on you that sort of makes probably making your film easier it could yeah I mean, back in, yeah. Mm. was it like that back in the day like for if us you're coming was, more, I mean mm-hmm. we weren't coming from a prominent film school I mean there are practical yes. ways that the prom, that the main film schools can funnel you into the industry at yeah least just help you out way, through internships and who through you know uh, big shots who come to teach a course or teach a, do a special, you know, uh, seminar or something and you get in and then you get introduced and you might get a little in through one of those things. So there's practical ways and yeah, it doesn't hurt to say, and that plus you'll also have a film or two, at least shorts to show and talk about. You'll have something. So film school is, you know, an expensive, if you get into a top film school, especially in California, if you want to work in Hollywood, Uh, New York is fine if you want to be in New York, but you got to be careful about where you go. Because if it isn't sliding you right into the industry, even in a very lowly way, you've interned at a company and got coffee and they like you and they might make you now make you a, I don't know, the lowest level, you're going to do coverage, the lowest level of development, something you might get something out of it. Um, You better because you're going to have spent a ton of money, but at least it's a way. But if you're coming from nowhere, I I don't know. That's what's so funny. People would ask me, well, how how do you do it? How do you, what's the way to get to succeed? And I'd be like, if I knew, I'd tell you there isn't a way. You know, there's just, you know, better bets and worse bets to get any kind of access. But yeah. So that's one way. The festival circuit, if you can get attention, you know, um, they're act- they're actively looking at those. But you really are going to have to stand out in the crowd somehow. Um, you can parlay that maybe. Uh, but otherwise, I've literally, you know, one person <laughs> we worked with said the best advice he'd ever been given was you've got to get on the party circuit. <laughs> you've got to find ways to get invited to the parties where people who have any kind of industry clout go. Because if you yeah, drink with them like, and do drugs with yeah. them <laughs> and chat with them, that's where deals get made. Da, 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 da. So get on the party circuit, he said, was the best advice. That sounds, I mean, I don't know. It sounds weird. What, like, um, that um, basically, if you have like a film to make or you have script or something, that, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, chatting someone up at a party who is already like extremely high or drunk or both. Right. At least they're vulnerable. Like un- they might listen to you. <laughs> That's true. It seems kind of <laughs> unlikely will, will, well, think, will think help about you. It. If you try to do it with what you would think of as the kind of normal way, thinking, well, they must need scripts. They got to make something. Yeah. So you're going to go, you know, try to send it to companies. Well, no, they won't take anything that's not from a, a you know, a recognized agent or manager. So then you got to try to go get an agent or manager. But if you don't have any experience or any cred or any anything, they won't take you. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you get eyes uh, vicious, vicious circle yeah. yeah and you know the joke is if you could only I don't know somehow buddy it up with Jennifer Lawrence's hairdresser's cousins whatever <laughs> this is, then this try is to pass it up the chain you know that kind of is there any way to get to someone who could help you get your movie made um, 
And if, Ooh, it's, yeah. that's what's so hair tearing about it. You can have the greatest talent in the world show up, but if no one will vouch for them, any yeah. any query letter you send, any any application for a job, forget it. Goes right in the garbage. If it isn't, yeah. if you aren't vouched for and recommended by somebody that they know, you basically, got to do like like about Eve style. What's up, <laughs> all about Eve? Not a, not, a bad, about Eve. not a bad primer. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's a real insider story, by the way. That's based on is it fact. based on reality? Well, it's based on a, a real situation. Elizabeth uh-huh. Bergner was a. Uh, Euro um, actor of some renown on stage and she had a little mini kind of career in film but it was supposedly it's based on what happened to her that the, she had an assistant who was slowly but surely trying to I think steal her husband and work yeah. her way into a career which would usurp <laughs> Elizabeth Burgers and it, so it's based on that that story that reality yeah I don't know but yeah it's, it's a great film very convincing yeah, very <laughs> very <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but speaking of all the uh, <laughs> like for the parting, what do you think? Like in your experience, what what like type of people generally were drawn? I mean, I still I bet it's still the same type of people who are drawn to to like the filmmaking in general. Um, yeah, did did you notice the type? Clearly, there's a lot of comedy in this whole in oh, God, world. Yes. A lot of fawning over, and I don't know, it's just some kind of sucking up. So it's like. You have to be a certain type, I guess. <laughs> well, let's say certain things can really help. It. If you if you can never if you just never feel shame or embarrassment about anything, you're you're going to be nicely set up. Because you know everyone is always telling you you have to schmooze, you have to schmooze constantly. I mean, I used to get advice like you should never be having a single conversation with anyone who's got who's any, on any rung above yours in the industry, and for me, that would have been almost anyone, um, without getting something from them before the conversation's over. And that's, um, I don't know, a name of another contact, an agreement to meet to talk about some project of yours, uh-huh. just something, something, a phone number to somebody for something. <laughs> you should never have a single casual conversation ever. That sounds so desperate. No, you just want to kill time. yourself with the very idea of living that way. <laughs> But yeah, I was told that by more than one. That's the only way. You just have to. Everyone's using everyone. Just accept it and just plunge into it and do it as just as just as aggressively as everyone else does. But from my experience, <laughs> limited as it was, people ran from that. People hated that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who wants that? When I the only time I ever had any tiny bits of clout was when again I was with companies and they were tiny companies, but again they financed, they had money. All of a sudden, I, I was on the other side of people trying to schmooze me. Believe me, it's disgusting. Whoa, how did it feel? Oh, they horrible. were just fun, yeah. <laughs> horrible because they're just they're, they're staring. They're, there's this stare that you could just tell <laughs> they've they've fixed you in their yeah. sights. You are, you know, you're the one they've got to land, and so they're and they're just killing themselves trying to be charming and flattering, all the just grotesque things, you know, really just fe- feigning the biggest interest in you that's possible, and all of a sudden you just the desperate desire to get away from them is is every bit as big as when you have to sort of schmooze some horror story jerk that you hate, but you feel like you've got to try. I was never any good at it, never. And I never got anywhere. The only times I ever did well at anything or got anywhere was when I was just like, I don't know, an enthusiast. I loved movies, loved to talk about movies, was thrilled, or through, through friends, through working at friends. I just couldn't do it. I was not a good schmoozer. It, it requires a special skill set. <laughs> 
Yeah. You have to be well. able to engage people at, on almost any level of conversation. You have to know when to say something daring that gets that's attention getting. You know, there's a whole series of it's very it is very Eve, very Eve of all about Eve. How well can you read people, what they care about, you know, what their weaknesses are and, and get an approach get an attack which is down it's definitely like a talent oh god yes and to watch someone do it well you know handle mm-hmm. it well um is an amazing thing yeah i mean even to watch people handle pr i mean i've often said this i've never seen anyone work a room as far as promoting a movie better than steven soderbergh when he was on suture because we were at of course film festivals with him oh he can schmooze oh my god you'd never guess right he seems like such a serious filmmaker yeah. with his you know pale face and his big glasses mm-hmm. and he'd be like what a nerd and no oh, no no huh? oh my god he would just he, he gives delightful interviews oh my god mm-hmm. he would just charm the pants off everybody and you could just see he loved it he just loved it. he used to joke about it like look at him do look at him go man he lives for this it was really it was really telling because i had always wondered how did Soderbergh get from Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which was a huge hit for an indie film, as I've already said, and through, then he proceeds to make like, I forget how many flops in a row, seven, eight, a ton of films yeah, but that no do one terribly, but no Money one cared. Come in. Yeah. No one cared. They were always hoping for another payday, a Sex, Lies, Videotape, and I just think everybody loved him. He was just great. <laughs> he was just a great... Yeah, they just people just enjoyed him. They loved working with him. They would always give him more money. So he weathered it and came out on top again. But if you ever wonder, like, how is that person still working? They haven't had a hit since, you know, 1992. And yet there they are. They're always getting more offers and they're terrible. It's, it's going to be something like that. Well, didn't you? I think it was you, right? Who said, um, well, you were working with... Um a Francis Ford Coppola company that oh, yeah. since Francis made Godfather 1, Godfather 2, he can fail for the next, I don't know, till the rest of his life. <laughs> doesn't matter. 40, something like that, 40 years, because it just it doesn't matter. They will still oh, well, his level is, though he, I mean, when I was him. working for him, he wasn't, he was at the most desperate state. He'd lost everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's still... But, but he was still Francis Coppola. <laughs> and yeah. and the, his, his personal fortune was untouched. They could not get that. They got everything that was associated with the studio, the, all the land, all the buildings that he had owned because he wanted to create his mm-hmm. own studio system in the Bay Area. And he was left with one little building um, and, you know, obviously his estate and his wineries and all that. He kept all that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the legend of the name was still going to allow him to always be a director for hire. You know, mm-hmm. he was never he was never blackballed in that way. You've read about legendary yeah. cases of like Preston Sturgis. He'd had hit after hit after hit, but he'd also alienated. You know, he he just was a very irreverent guy. He was he didn't suck up enough, and I they were then I think they just decided to destroy him. Mm-hmm. So when he wasn't getting, you know, he, he had a few flops and they wouldn't even hire him as a writer. And he was renowned as a brilliantly witty, great writer. They wouldn't yeah, even hire him to do that. plays are really funny. Yeah. Oh, so funny. So there are cases where people have been deliberately destroyed for, you know, mysterious yeah. reasons of they hate him for some reason. But but then speaking of failure and, and just the way, again, I don't know how financing system works in, in Hollywood like some people seem to be like on average allowed to fail more than yes, others it's really so weird you, yeah but then would you say I mean I, I am not a fan like a big fan of this topic but would you say that kind of women are allowed to fail less or oh everyone like, knows that's true and that, that, is, that true. is true oh that's mm-hmm. absolutely true um, that's for sure so, 
so let's say big Catherine Bigelow kind of now that never failed. She fully joined like the boys club and somehow. And I think she's never, I don't think she's ever failed as consistently or as long mm-hmm. as a number of men have been able to fail and still continue okay. a career. And again, you're right. She, she was just, she was considered both beautiful and could hang with the guys very, very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, could direct action, all of the things that have this kind of appeal. And she just, she did well enough in each of these films. I don't think she ever had a string of true flops. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think so. That, you know, and, and she's like the one. We'll let her for a long time. It was like Catherine Bigelow, and then you're and then you're kind of scratching your head trying to think who who else is is really allowed to be in the position she's in. Penny Marshall for a while, um, mm-hmm. you know. And Penny Marshall was allowed to. I don't know that she had a lot of failures though either. It just seems like if you didn't, you get a shot or two, and even at that, I mean, you know, the one everyone always points to is Catherine Hardwick in Twilight. Mm-hmm. She does Twilight, you know, admittedly, it's based on a huge bestseller, bestselling book series. It does gangbusters. It's huge. And what do they do? They take it away from her and, give, and yeah. she doesn't get to do the sequels. And so everyone's just like, what? <laughs> I mean, that should have been a huge career maker, like put her at a very high level for her next. She should have been given a lot more money for the next one, blah, blah, blah. And instead... I forget what she did, but she went on to do another tiny film and had it took a long time to I forget what it was. But you know, she's like an object lesson. People have held her up as see. Yeah. This is what I saw her happens. at the panel at the panel in Sundance. Yeah, and that's what she was exactly talking about. Oh, did about. she say that? Yeah. Yeah, she was talking about it. And um, I think Taika Waititi was sitting was sitting next to her. Uh-huh. She was sort of like laughingly talking about the uh, kind of unfa- unfairness. It was kind of stunning. Yeah. <laughs> like how like, well do you have to do <laughs> yeah basically indie going hollywood is kind of extremely hard for for, for a woman or at least well, for her, anyone but yeah add being a woman and yes it's even worse i think that's definitely and you know you'd always get urged join women in film this whole group that's supposed but to be supportive and, like what the hell oh, I, like, yeah, I don't think it, it didn't yeah. seem helpful you'd go you'd go to a talk or two and be like it was all these be the, be the person you know who won't take no be the and you're like oh, you know you get a bunch of bromides about how you could succeed in very little that was practical i found yeah. at the time anyway maybe it's better now maybe there really is I mean, some sorry sort of support there's some kind of someone talking oh, music. Hang, on. Someone? Oh, hang on hang on here sorry i'm sorry there's Oh, sorry. Philippe's phone went crazy and went on speaker. Oh, oh it's okay. It's actually I couldn't hear that much. It just so it's for, for a little bit started like yeah. creating like back noise, but but it's fine. It wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, we're uh, <laughs> women and oh, film. the women in film. Yeah, you know, exponentially harder. Of course, it's going to be. It's a very guyish place. It's oh, at least yeah. it was then. Maybe it's better now. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, there's some kind of. I mean, a good good part of the Weinstein kind of scandal, yeah. or post Weinstein scandal. That's I guess might be helping, but yeah, it's um it's weird the the, the whole ghettos that kind of encourage you to join them, which are this women make movies stuff like like thing. I think it's like a some sort of production companies or um that are set up to to help you make movies which is probably all right to use them but it's okay but yeah, i mean it's, it's okay it's, to the extent that there's financing it seems yeah, yeah, like yeah. there's yeah. money it's fine but it just yeah what about like their festivals also like 
women like, I don't know, right. it, it seems like, like it's a um, dangerous kind of catch you, you know damned if yeah. you do damned if you don't if you take the yeah. resources and take the opportunities do they are they as confining as they are seemingly helpful <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, i'm i'm assuming it's got to be a little a little better now i mean having a female no, run sure. production sure. company that's successful is going to be helpful if they'll yeah. go on to continue to like prioritize, oh, we're going to do female authored scripts and we're going to hire female dominant crews. That that can all be. Yeah, that that would be interesting if there would be that more could be helpful. and all that. For sure, I think they're like, um, aren't they gearing now for? almost not probably not 50 50 but there's some which i don't know how you <laughs> how you look at it but i think they want to do some like quotas for how many women let's say would work as a crew you wow know. that would be amazing um i was reading somewhere <coughs> yeah which, which i mean why not <laughs> oh, that'd be great my god yeah yeah no it, it seemed yeah. like just as as we were coming in you started to see female crew members in a way mm -hmm. that it seemed like we were seeing it grow really rapidly. So like by the time we made a, I don't know, third film or whatever, again, it wasn't, it wasn't directed by the same people we started producing. There was a female, you know, DP. Um, and that's a very guyish. the whole mm -hmm. operation of the camera and the camera crew tends to be very, very, very guy. <laughs> um, so you'd start seeing women in very unorthodox positions in the crew. Um, the crews in general tend to be very, very guy oriented but certain jobs like female boom artists uh, you know it's a weird thing you know it's not that hard to hold up a a boom mic and learn how to do it do it right but when you i first saw a woman doing it i was like wow i don't think i've ever seen that that's that's interesting there's an infiltration happening so yeah so that would be exciting yeah because the, I mean, because yeah. the, the atmosphere was not good i have to say even at the indie level there was all this macho proving ground shit that mm -hmm. had to go on like you know kind of let's see if you can handle this kind of usually a male director who had to prove his mettle by you know uh demonstrating that he understood how something worked usually some some gear some equipment all that kind of bull that is just like really <laughs> um but it's it could it it did thrive even in the indie in the indie world was just which just mimics to a distressing degree at least in my experience what what is regarded as this is how it's done in the big time of hollywood and so in your first little indie film which was our case with suture you wind up with these people who are at the very bottom rung of the industry too but they but they all want to act like they're this is how it's done you're new and you don't know but this is how you have to cut this is how you have to record sound this is how you have to do anything so it makes it makes experimentation very hard um because you can wind up up against crew members key crew members who are telling you you're doing it wrong because that's not how they do it in the industry if you're doing it right so it can be really infuriating yeah, it's probably would be hard to like f fight them since they do have. It is because they're just like yeah, they're all pulling supposedly their superior rank <laughs> and experience. Yeah. yeah, I found that infuri I found that maddening because you know most films are, are so hidebound and boring that the idea that you can't try anything and risk a mistake, quote unquote, is is just the worst thing that could happen to film. That's terrible. But it was a, it was a widespread attitude. Mm -hmm. Well, now with like sort of like easier technology, I think it's definitely changing. I hope. I don't know. It's, it's to me, it's yeah. almost like as fast as fast as something came in, there were new rules for how you were supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe that was my own disillusioning experience. 
Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was, a, it was a kind of guild protection. You know, there's always mm -hmm. a ton of that in the, in the film industry because it's so, so many people want in, there's all this ways of what, making sure that you keep outsiders out. And so you, mm -hmm. you, there's all this codified, oh, you have to do it this way or you reveal that. I got it. It's almost like, yeah, like the guild that tries to make it look as if it's um, some kind of quantum, make it like some physics or yeah. as if it's like hard science, which it actually is not. Yeah. So they tell newcomers to try to like, you know, re then, I don't know if they, what they would tell them now, but then it was like, you have to study the Hollywood reporter and, and memorize all the names of all the players at all the companies. And yeah. this is exactly how you have to turn in a script, which at the time was still looking the way it would have in 1942 in Hollywood. It had to be that old time type face. The front mm -hmm. page had to be blank. You couldn't put a cover on it. It had to have two brads, not three. I mean, this is what I mean by the absurdity of the rules. And if you did anything else, you just revealed your amateurish outsiderness and they would know to just not even look at it. So you'd be told these just mad things, insane things like that. That can't be true anymore. But that was the most extreme version of the guild rules that, that we encountered. It was like, seriously? But there's a middle little hole in a three-hole punch sheet of, on, on a script page. And they'd be like, no, no. The top and the bottom and you leave the middle, no Brad. Otherwise, you've revealed. <laughs> you know, this, is some, like, this is very Lynch territory. Oh, it was ridiculous. Like you can't invent that because you, <laughs> you would think it's some. Yeah, it was laughable. Like a, but believe me, everyone followed joke. it. Everyone followed yeah, it. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> well, well, and I guess those who followed might have succeeded more. Who knows? Yeah, but, I, um, I don't, so few people succeed in the way that most people think of succeeding. But <laughs> let's say, since I'm trying to get some <laughs> some scoop out of you. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, well, let me try. I think uh, there were those that legitimately succeeded. Uh, you, I think, what, did you know Wash Westmoreland? Yeah, he's probably done the best name, of the right? people that I knew oh. uh -huh. when we started Wash Westmoreland. His, he probably because you go way back with him. Oh, yeah, that was way back to, I don't know, sometime after Suture. He he was friends mm -hmm. with the directors that I knew and some other people that I'm Todd and B. David. He mm -hmm. and Richard Glatzer, who was um, who um, sadly had passed away from ALS, but um, was his uh, directing part, writing directing partner for many years. And yeah, they were all part of a kind of set of friends that I that I met. Um, yeah. And he's and they were wonderful people, super nice. And so it's actually lovely that they made it <laughs> um in such a big way with uh i think wash alone did the most recently well now he has a movie out now called earthquake bird oh that's a new one huh that's a new okay. one um i watched colette and colette is the one year. before with Kira knightley and then before that i think was still alice with that got julianne moore her oscar and that was with richard glatzer that was he was directing right to the end um co-directing with with wash um so so they've done incredibly well um so yeah and it's very heartwarming that 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 success <laughs> that they got it wash was always delightful always the sweetest um it's funny though i noticed that the, there's a kind of if you if you look him up online there's a real downplaying of of, of his early when i knew him was, at first he was still very much in the in you know directing in the gay porn scene um and he was he was trying very 
you know, humorously, but but seriously at the same time, to raise the standards of, of porn films and make them more, shall we say, and what would Scorsese say? Make them cinema. <laughs> Artful. Yes. And yeah. he actually got a lot, I, as I recall, he was getting a lot of recognition. I think he won an award or two for this. So that was what he was doing. And it inspired one of the independent films they did, which was called The Fluffer, which The Fluffer is supposedly a, a position in the in porn film where you, you're, you're the one who has to get and keep the leading man excited, shall we say? And <laughs> so he did use it, but it's, I just noticed that there's been a kind of a kind of cleansing process, shall we say, of his bio. Often when you read about him, that's you know it's not that he's hiding it. I think he talks about it in interviews, but it tends not to make it onto his Wikipedia page or anything very much. <laughs> but he was adorable. He had this huge. He's from. He's you know British. He had this huge mop of riotous curls. He was always nice and always enthusiastic and. Um, and he and Richard were, yeah, they're very dear people. So it was very heartwarming. And, you know, they really succeeded. You could say their breakthrough was through the film festival route. Um, they did a film called Quinceanera. Um, and I forget what year, two, 2005 or six, I think. And it won, I think, Grand Jury Prize and Audience Award. And from there, that and then that that same year, they won the Independent Spirit Award, I think the John Cassavetes for films made under 500,000. And out of that, you know, that that pretty much, you know, sent them off into a real directing career that wound up being very successful. I keep, of course, meaning to call or contact him. He's on Facebook with me um, and ask him to come on our show, which I'll get my nerve up someday. It's a hangover of the old <laughs> Hollywood thing that I feel very nervous about. <laughs> Am I going to get the, the treatment like I did, you know, uh, um, the ultimate snub, the do I know you? I don't think so, but, you know, you never can be sure with Hollywood. That's funny. Well, it's it's worth trying to just see. Oh no, I think I really... I've just been saving it. I, I, yeah. I had been no, tracking. I didn't know Earthquake Bird was coming mm -hmm. out so soon. I was going to when his next movie was kind of you know getting near completion or about to open or whatever. I was going to ask him then so we could talk about that. But it already opened or or rather got released. I think it's on. Is it Netflix or Amazon? Oh, I kind of got one of those releases know. and was upon us mm -hmm. before I even. I even realized that it was out. So anyway, we'll get to watch yeah. soon. But it was okay, it, so he, like yeah. I said, great. He, great He's one of uh, one of those that made it. So so to speak. Oh, he is. He's definitely mm -hmm. the, the most of of anyone I okay. I know. Because people either bailed because it's you know if if you're not independently wealthy, it's going to be very hard to weather the years of trying to survive until you can make it. it. It just takes you. And filmmaking is so time consuming. It's very hard to hold a steady job of any kind while you do it. It's all virtually impossible. Um, so it, it's a it's an industry that has always favored the trust fund kid, you know, the person mm -hmm. who has independent means and doesn't have to worry about it and can afford to wait <laughs> the six months until so-and-so reads your script and all of that stuff that is so heartbreaking. Um, you can do it. You can you can just yeah go on to the next thing, write another script, carry on for years that way until you can break through. But if you really have to work, it's almost impossible. Yeah, unless I guess it happens. Unless it happens fast, right? Exactly. Unless you break yeah. through 
um, with with some sort of suddenness. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, people yeah. do persevere. They some people yeah. have you know t- can tell once they make it, they can tell their harrowing stories of how long it took them. But yeah. it's quite. But a- I do have to say, I frequently look up like Wikipedia or IMDb. Mm-hmm. I guess Wikipedia is more telling. It was so immediate of some kind of young, like say, successful but young film directors. They always come like more than not from a very affluent background. It's, it's, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, nor- it's almost <laughs> the, the, the norm, which is, well, it is what it is. Yes. And again, I just think that's, that's part of it. It's just like, it's, it's not only that the rich find the rich and are clubby with the no. rich. That that's definitely true. But it is also just the sheer practicality. Yeah, just the practicality. How but the hell do you would, keep going? Yeah, I think you were telling me, like especially the secretly rich people that were your <laughs> yes. friends for many years, and yeah. you were think they were also starving, kind of starving artists in a way, mm-hmm. and then turned out they're all like throw huge weddings and all yes, that. Yes, the big then, reveal. <laughs> yeah, but then isn't it also sort of like a waste? They they frequently either just lose interest in whatever they're pursuing, like film-wise, and just move on to something else. Well, I certainly... Even, though, the, even yeah. though they have resources to pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. So it's almost like wasted on them. Oh, I certainly saw that, Cinder. I saw, right. especially saw it with the children of the of the fame, the rich and famous, where they, dab, they would dabble. Um, mm-hmm. but lose interest when it didn't all, it didn't all pay off pretty immediately. Um, so that, that, and that got to be a thing when I, I was working for one of those people and I, I knew, knew someone who was working for another <laughs> and we would compare notes all the time. It was in both case daughters of, of the, the rich and famous. And it was like uncanny, the similarities, like attention spans, like fleas, like uh, unable mm-hmm. to focus so that after a while, that's, that's just what ended it. You just finally are like, oh, we're never going to get any work done. This person cannot, cannot keep her mind on the job because it's not fun. And if you've been raised in an atmosphere of there's always another party, there's always another, it just seems like it's going to be very hard for you to do this, all this concentrated work. It's so work oriented, Phil. I don't, most people yeah. perhaps don't realize it can help to visit a set just to see how much work for like a real major production and how much equipment and how much labor and how boring most of it is. And if you can't get with that, if you can't, if you don't have incredible stamina you're just not going to be able to i used to tell my students go be a coal miner it's physically easier than most jobs in film even if you're like an editor you're going to be asked to edit for 48 hours straight or something there's just so much that's demanding um about these jobs even if you're a big shot you know (laughs) yeah true well yeah if you if you get there speaking of like yeah, but then the whole, it seems like the whole industry, or it doesn't matter, the fringes or not, they are kind of um, sort of powered by huge, uh, I don't know, extreme delusion that kind of keeps it all going, right? So, yeah, I, absolutely. I, just, I think any, it, anyone yeah. assessing their chances sensibly, who's coming totally from the outside, mm-hmm. would have to say, my chances are terrible. So, <laughs> so, so, the people who tend to try to make it are they either stumbled in like me i would have swore mm-hmm. i could not have done it but then i saw other people say come on let's try and i so i did and then mm-hmm. it looked like again that early initial success was just like oh i guess i was wrong i guess it's really easy turned out of course not to be but oh it's either that or you you're just absolutely insanely obsessed and won't yeah. let it go 
Yeah. Which is great. That's the way, I guess, to be an artist. And or, yeah, it's true. You often will I mean, read, if you do ever read of someone working class who made it, it's often, mm-hmm. that's often the story. They just, they just were like, nope, <laughs> I was just going to risk everything and I was going to stay with it until I either made it or died, that that kind of thing. Um, you know, and of course, again, if you're, if you're wealthy, you know, why not? You got to spend your time somehow. <laughs> so, however. <laughs> Doing something. <laughs> but, you know, every time you read a success story, just think of all the cases that are like that, that where they didn't make it. And there's so many. Yeah, well, it's just like inside Lou and Davis. Yeah. Very truthful. How many, how many people who often super talented and they just, mm-hmm. it was impossible to stay the course. And that's the, the yeah. atmosphere of, of Hollywood for as much fun as it can be at first, which was for us because we just felt we were in it, but not of it. And it was hilarious and extreme and all that. And we loved it. It really, after a while, it sinks into your bones, this feeling of like, you know, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much darkness um, that some of which you're witnessing as you see people change and you see all sorts mm-hmm. of tragic things happen. But but it's it's almost like the topic for for like a movie, I mean, not the topic, material, just material, great material for oh, a movie. And it's That's why kind, we have Sunset so. Boulevard and, yeah. and uh, you know, Mulholland Drive, <laughs> all the great movies about, yeah, about how. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it's such a crucible of, of, of desire. Um, this is where people bring their biggest dreams and hopes and along the biggest, most naked and embarrassing ones. I mean, you have to be willing to embarrass yourself <laughs> to say, I'm going to go try to make it in Hollywood. It just seems ludicrous. Um, <laughs> so it's the biggest, biggest, nakedest longing goes up against terrible, terrible odds. And so, of course, what follows figures, but it doesn't make it any less kind of desolating and alarming somehow. So, yeah, Lynch, David Lynch really captures that wonderfully. I saw I saw Mulholland Drive while I was still down there in L.A. And I I was just, you know, paralyzed. When, it, fr- when it first came yes, out. when it first came oh, yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, ah. Oh! Oh my God, that's all correct, including the monster in the dumpster behind Johnny's coffee shop. All yeah, correct. That, that's what that's what gets me because most of the time I talk to people and like, whoa, Lynch really far out, surreal. And I'm like, um, well, whoa. if you lived in LA, not not no, really, no. not far out. No, he gets both Which is- both the glamour, the promise that drives you mad because he get you get so near it. You're you're even there sometimes. You're at the party. You're finally at the party, and there are all the stars, and it looks like that 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 house party of that modernist masterpiece in the hills and the drive toward it looks just like that. And you get there, and you're like, I'm here. I made it, and yet. You can just feel the blackness encroaching all around you because, of course, you've made it to what? To where? You know, there's still this kind of hollow unless you really just came from winning your Oscar and you know you have a great career ahead of you. Maybe, maybe it really all comes true. But I don't well, know. but in your exp- so because because you I don't, I don't know I think we haven't talked about it because you went to all those like Penny Marshall parties yeah. right when she was when she was well actually not all big. those I went to one real the one really big one <laughs> oh and then one that was just a, a kind of like afternoon barbecue kind of thing yeah but yeah. there are okay, this is the kind of the Lynch the gla- the the glamorous part of let's say Mulholland Drive that's kind of like yes that. absolutely the big one which was the legendary you know, Penny Marshall and Carrie Fisher joint birthday party that they did every year for many years that, that to be there was to see it was wall to wall stars, wall to wall. 
you didn't turn anywhere to see some you, that you couldn't see someone incredibly famous and yeah but then you're just a you know no one wants to talk to you so you're, you're really a spectator at this place in the in the hollywood hills that has a view to die for and all the rest of it but in, in fact is it turns out to be a very bad party <laughs> yeah I, oh I, yeah i think you mentioned because everyone already um kind of dropped drugs <laughs> Oh well, that was my theory. Right, that, you know, with, or, I somewhere doing something because down here it looks like a bunch of twelve steppers all schmoozing about business. It really was. It was hugely disappointing in that it just seemed like very staid, very much people standing around talking in a in a glamorous setting, but that nothing really was happening other than you got to gawk at famous people, but nothing nothing exciting whatsoever. In fact, it, you know, my comparison was it looked like a high school, an awkward high school thing where you know people lower down the social scale are trying to crash the little groups of people at the top but, <laughs> and you're watching you get to watch it happen but yeah, that's not very inspiring so <laughs> yeah because you're i guess you're watching it can be fun to watch i guess because you wonder will they be able to well, hold on yes, to that can they circle? actually angle their way they- into that group <laughs> or successfully or will they be pushed back <laughs> to the outer fringe <laughs> like phys- physically yes right? physically closed out shouldered out <laughs> samuel Does l jackson i remember him? came in, he sat at a table almost the entire night with his own entourage that he'd come in with and he sat there looking truly truly angry <laughs> and it seemed to go on for every time i looked he was still there <laughs> like holding court refusing to approach anyone so he had the opposite approach so people had to approach him i thought that was a cool move actually if you had to be there <laughs> i mean um, yeah <laughs> god that's funny well i mean we i think we gossiped for a while i kind of we, did. we, did. we gossiped. Feel, silly, feel silly doing it but um but it is but fun we were inspired by film festivals <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, in film festivals, they do imitate, they imitate the, like the awards at the end mm-hmm. often, and the the Q and A. Just the way they handle the screenings tend to be an imitation of bigger Hollywood events. So I can still remember when we were at that tiny um, little that I can't even remember the name of. It was so small. Uh, uh, film festival in in somewhere in I think South Carolina, and we won the audience award. And as we walked down to collect it, you know, it clearly had been designed with the tables and everything, so it would be like you know the Golden Globes or something. And you actually caught a little taste. And you're like, oh, this is what it is. And everyone's everyone's applauding and cheering, and you know, because we were very popular. Our little film was popular there. And I was like, oh, this is what it is. It's to, it's to get you hooked in this tiny town in South Carolina so that you just want to keep keep on with this kind of event forever but like the the real version quote unquote the Academy Awards version so there's a lot of that there's a lot of you know set up it's even funny. at that early stage to get you yeah. kind of in the mode <laughs> yeah even, I guess even the really small ones do that yeah. and they look a bit funny because it's sort of so bare yeah they're you bare can, bones you, you can see yeah bare versions. bones and you can see it better the vanity even if it's so small yes it's, but they still it's, so hilarious. it's still the same thing there you are standing up there holding your little mic and <laughs> getting asked questions and seeing if you can be charming and get everyone to laugh applaud you and yeah 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 it's very very seductive the whole thing yeah well it feels like it seems like it has to be not about that that's exactly the thing that shouldn't be like at all seductive because that's kind of the wrong path i imagine 
because well, like that shouldn't, I don't know. That shouldn't <laughs> matter. Like, I don't know. I think that shouldn't really matter. Like the acclaim I, of your like, fellow human being. Wow. Um, wow. You've got a stronger no, like moral should, fiber than me. No, <laughs> but it should, right? It should be about the... The, the film the work not, not you, yeah the work like every star standing. says in interviews it's really what matters is the oh, work it's really the work <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of should be do you think like okay do you really think no I'm not being hypocritical mm. but do you really think that David Lynch really gives a shit like if he even like back in the day when he was like so mm-hmm. huge about that about like standing with a mic and being I have to think it's the most I don't think so but he's got the most satisfying career path in the world this is exactly what I always hope for you do exactly what you want you do you don't compromise in any way as far as we can tell he's never had to he does exactly the work he wants and collects awards praise fame money that's the ultimate goal that's it I mean, so it's got to be hugely satisfied. No, that's true because he, if he never compromised, then why yeah, not be? He never had like, to make bad with... crap or anything. I mean, he might have made a that's commercial true. or two, which were pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I think. Well, the Dune, but, he considers Dune a total flop, which it's not. It's still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he he, yeah. he wound up doing things, but they did. They don't. They don't seem compromising. He always seems like he does what he does and you can take it or leave it and everyone said I'll take it or not everyone but enough people to make him really insanely successful but yeah, yeah. For, you're right for most people it's not going to be like that it's it's and you run into that immediately the desperate chasing of what's the next successful thing I can remember I was working in development and um, the full Monty had just come out and it was this big supposedly surprise hit and I was given the directive that at our company that's what we wanted and I was told this very seriously like this was the key to everything what we need is to get to get our own the full Monte, and I said you do understand that when the next full Monte comes along, it won't look like this full Monte. <laughs> It'll be a totally different kind of story. Yeah, you can't replicate. Don't simply right? replicate this. So that doesn't help anything <laughs> to say that's what we need. Everyone knows what we need. Everyone want everyone at an independent company wants the big sleeper hit. You can't you can't just say to yourself, I'm going to go find the next full Monte and make it happen. So there's a lot of that kind of bullshit. Um, that you have to endure. <laughs> People thinking it's just that easy. Can't, why don't you focus? You just need the next big hit sleeper film. Oh, well, now, now it's all obvious and clear. Yeah, so there's a lot of that nonsense. And just desperation of people. They just want, most people don't care. They don't care about the quality of the work at all. They desperately mm-hmm. are chasing success. Like pure success. Pure success. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that seems like a like a pathway to hell. <laughs> it certainly could be. I mean, when you look at some of the horrible jobs people do on like terrible TV shows and, shit and awful just, movies, just to do you're it. just like, oh my god. But I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. It, I don't see how anyone could be superior and say, no. Oh. It's just the work. I know it sounds actually. I I, I can see remember side. It does. It does sound also <laughs> un, untrue. I mean, well, imagine not, Tom Cruise. I mean, his his life has just got to be one grand sweet song. Even though he's a crazy motherfucker and he's a Scientologist and God knows what they've got on him. And you know, but who cares? <laughs> There's nowhere in the world he can go that everyone isn't like. It's Tom. Even other stars well, are like an actor. Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> it's got it. Come on, it's the ultimate seduction. I always, cl- I always compare it to my precious, the ring in the Lord of the Rings. You get. It's dangerous to even get near it. 
conceivable just because even at the fringy, fringy, fringest, I saw what it did to people when they got a tiny, anywhere near the ring. But and they were like, it the- ah, it's mine. But isn't it so different from like the on-screen talent and then everyone else? Doesn't matter if you're writer or director. It's just, it's just so different. You'll never have that and you not like you don't probably want it because you're not on screen talent so i, I kind of just just separate or at least seems like the the pursuit should be well, yeah you know when you're behind the scenes yeah. you have a better yeah, chance and, of staying sane because yeah if you're you know the sanest people on mo- on many sets not i shouldn't say all because they're also sometimes the most bitter are sound people <laughs> because everybody forgets about them, literally. Everyone's so concentrated on the image and on performance and on all these things that half the time they'll forget. <laughs> they will, they'll no, forget see, to let them get you, room tone yeah. or whatever that they need. They'll have to be like, uh, because everyone forgets mm. the sound guys. No, but basically you put, like, then you put all the on-screen talent, whatever, actors mm-hmm. with screenwriters, directors, you put them all in the same kind of bin with this vanity chasers. Is that what you're saying? You no, mean. I'm just saying you you um, you can be in the business. You're right, and be out of out of that kind of crazy sweepstakes of hoping you're going to be touched by that kind of yeah. success. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll so saner. There are saner people who exist on the crew. Yeah, for sure. But even they have to be you know working insanely hard to get the better jobs that lead to the better yeah, money yeah. and blah blah blah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say all this to you. Sounds, you know, it will be discouraging. Know, it, sounds, it sounds all very bad. Well, you know what? Like, I'm a foreigner, mm-hmm. so it's. I feel. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably the stakes are different, <laughs> or something, or just things are different. I mean, it all depends on what you want. I mean, if but, you're really not interested in that, that actually, that can actually work for you in some ways. Um, your indifference to it, you know, some people used to say that, and it would be a mad, you know, kind of, again, a kind mm-hmm. of uh, the impossibility of it. If you could just achieve perfect indifference to the whole thing, they'd, they'd love you. <laughs> and you'd be like, really? yeah. Why? Well, because then, you know, uh, then that gives you a kind of, you know, a kind of glamour that they would love. Like, please, please do this. No, I don't care anything about you. Then I want you even more. That kind of logic. That if you didn't, because uh, all that desperation of trying makes uh, you repulsive <laughs> to people. <laughs> well, anyway, what, I, what do I know about it? But, um, but well, and I will say, to be fair, that some, of the, some of the things that happened were the biggest were truly thrilling and exciting. And that includes just creatively, just trying to achieve something and then seeing it being filmed and feeling like just that one shot or that one thing worked can be just the yeah. most exciting thing. And Yeah, that's I think that's probably the most, just communicating. But then I'm also, I don't know, wow, how, how, how I know how that it affects you, even the tiny bit of yeah. any kind of recognition, you never know. Oh, and then, yeah, and then, but yeah, but then the recognition yeah. is also the other, the other thrilling thing is, yeah, it's like feeling like, you know. You're the center of attention, and everyone's praising you for a brief time. I mean, I was standing next to it. I was. It wasn't even me. Oh, it's that's usually you know, me it standing really, next to it. It really sounds horrible. <laughs> it just sounds like the worst. No, it is. <laughs> I, I assure do. you, <laughs> it is not horrible. <laughs> when everyone's applauding and laughing and going, "Yeah, you're great." No, no, there's nothing horrible about it whatsoever. You might even like it. Okay. <laughs> Come on, you must have enjoyed it when you know having people. Go, oh, we love Changemaker. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, I, I think like, it's interesting, well, I haven't made like a real big film, but um, the whole, it. well, again, it's hard to say, but I think really what powers me, I, and I'm, I'm not being like, 
uh, what do you call like to joke about it it's just some sort of weird sense of like revenge on certain people or things or uh-huh. so that's a big part like of the kind of take powered <laughs> so yes. i i mean other things might be there i might be not fully you know conscious mm-hmm. of them but for me it's really it's really sort of like ha- a lot of hate resentment i wished i had had that it's really just when, that when i was in the movie i wish I, that would have helped me because i wouldn't have gone along with so many things that didn't happen to me until i started writing and it was great that really powered me when i first was being a film critic i was just like mm-hmm. you know there's so much idiotic bullshit that has reigned over my life <laughs> and i just want some sort of massive revenge and how can i get it well it's by advocating for everything that's not that and that was super yeah. exhilarating i loved that D- definitely but in it might not like affect anything oh no you're doing it just because even if with your little pea shooter you, you want to strike some sort of little blow against everything you've hated all your life absolutely Basically, yeah yeah yeah. So it's like the revenge, and then this revenge is also it's a bit um, not delusional because who you really <laughs> do the people you hate do they even touch them? I don't. I doubt it even. Probably mostly not, but someone can probably break through here and there. So in a way, this it's it's still still worth doing. <laughs> Sets you free. Sets you free. Yeah. 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 Which which actually brings me. <laughs> <laughs> to our um just i think i'll announce our next mm. episode oh yeah i do uh yeah because it sort of seems like a good segue mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna talk um just uh, about filmmaking as therapy yeah and it's good to if you look it up it's good to separate it out from what it's not because if you because i tried mm-hmm. just seeing if there was anything I've written on it and then there really isn't most people that they think of therapy film as it rep you know it's films about therapy they represent a psychiatrist and that's not what we're talking about i guess filmmaking itself is for some yeah, people where it's... you feel like the filmmaker <laughs> is using the film as therapy for their own their own and sometimes like i'm not fully i don't know i, I think like you hate it probably more i don't have like a such a position anti that but um some sometimes that actually works out all right as a final kind of whatever piece of art yeah i think certain types of it that i hate a lot but other types i don't hate so much yeah we're gonna talk about like honey boy which actually is 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 gonna be playing near me so i think i'll be able to see it oh, in time. Really? Yeah. You, you can yeah you can see so their honey boy is like that and it's a new shia LaBeouf film mm-hmm. about his about his troubled youth <laughs> and he's playing the father his father in some yeah, other. which clearly seemed like therapeutic. I think he wrote the whole script while being. Yes, I've been reading about it. Rehab. Then and then we're going to talk about the movie I truly hated, Marriage Story yeah. by Noah Baumbach. Yeah, which seems to be, I mean, loosely based on his divorce. Oh, and and it sounds like it's a little bit collaborative. It's somewhat inspired by Scarlett Johansson's, who who stars. So they both brought aspects right. of their divorces in. And then the Tamara Jenkins, it's older, private lives, few years old, about you know trying to conceive, you know, when you're a little older and you're having to get fertility treatments and all the rest of it. And that does seem based, you know, at least partially on her own experience, her and her husband's experience. And those are the films I tend to hate. I already feel like I'm going to hate them. Maybe wrongly. We'll see. I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of those. (laughs) Yeah. But so anyway, they're going to be, I think, a lot of hate. Well, I'm going to talk about older (laughs) therapy films, like, you know, an example would be Hitchcock in a way. I don't think he Mm -hmm. ever would have called it that. But mm-hmm. you know, he. But, but they are a bit of that. Well, kind, and he yeah. acknowledged he was a man who was part of what powered his films was he was a man who had so many fears. He was he lived in fear. He bragged about it. He said, "I live in fear." He said, "You should see me lock my door at night. You'd think there was a wild, ravening beast trying to claw its way into my house." And he just feared so many things. And he just said, "I'm I'm able to use <laughs> to use this to power my 
my narratives. I have all this insight into fear because that's all about me. So that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, I can, I can love that because it's more indirect. Yeah. I mean, occasionally he would supposedly represent um, older women in a really, uh, what, oppressive way that supposedly mirrored his relationship to his mother. But who knows how true that is. <laughs> like psycho. <laughs> yeah. Well, that one. And there's what? There's the Nazi mother in, um, in um, uh, Notorious, where the poor mm-hmm. younger Nazi, even though he's a grown man played by Claude Rains, has to basically tell his mother everything. And then she plots with him what he needs to do in the world. Supposedly it was based on Hitchcock having to report to his mother standing at the foot of her bed everything that he'd been doing and getting her approval. That's all next time. That's next time. So we won't say anymore. Man, it's talking about this stuff, the gossips and all that, and it makes me a bit depressed. It's somewhat ultimately a depressing subject. Oh, I find it to be. Yeah, I think even trying to think of all this stuff, I was getting yeah. kind of like desolate, like, oh, God, that was so bad. Um, but then, yeah, it's almost like better better not to think about it at all oh and norm- luckily i've gotten to the point that i hardly ever think about it you know but for a long t- for several years after i bailed it was very you know it's really occupied my really preyed on my mind i just seen really i just seen terrible things as far as friendships falling apart in really ugly ways it was just like i never it just seemed just so ridiculous that it it really yeah it stayed on my mind for a number of years but i'm i'm mostly free now it was only having to try to come up with anecdotes that was like oh yeah i forgot that that was ah that was just horrendous <laughs> you should write like some sort of a memoir oh, i am i am i'm writing one i'm trying to write about my life through films so i keep talking about you know, it's a kind of bringing in film criticism with a memoir. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the, one of the sections is going to be about trying to turn what, my, what had been my relationship to film, which was like, it was just an avid film watcher from like the age of 12 mm-hmm. um, and how I started trying to make films and uh, what a what a nightmare that was. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm yes. looking forward to, to the book though. Oh, thank you. I hope this was at least somewhat therapeutic. Yes, <laughs> I, think, I think ultimately, yes. Because in the end, I found myself trying to look at the good side, and there was a good side. I mean, really, I there was excitement to be had that was hard to get anywhere else. I will say that it's it's a world that's built around that idea that it's going to always, even if you're, even if you're what way on the fringe like we are, either you're going to have enough entree into the world of big excitement that and luxury and poshness and celebratory stuff that. Um, you have to acknowledge that there's there's thrills to be had that you can't get in Western New York, basically. <laughs> and oh, I'm forgetting. Where are you? Are you moving again? Are you? I forget what you're doing again. Yeah, that's that's like a very fitting, actually, episode. Yeah, I'm gonna be in LA. Yeah, you're going weeks. to LA. That's right. <laughs> I knew there's something. Yeah, that's that's that. So you'll be there when we do our next one. So we'll, we'll yeah, have to do the right. time change and all that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just three hours. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.